This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to another episode of Vet Candy's podcast and other news, a podcast to expand your idea of what is impacting the veterinary world, veterinarians, and all animal care professionals and animal lovers as humans. We are your co-hosts. I'm Dr. Jen. And I'm Dr. Jason Chatfield. And if you are not yet a Vet Candy subscriber, why not? Please subscribe for free today at myvetcandy.com. You can also reach us by email and you can reach me with messages of love and positivity at jen at myvetcandy.com. And in all other serious news, because I am obviously the serious one of this duo, you can reach me at jason at myvetcandy.com. Okay, so today's topic, today's topic is kind of interesting. I mean, you know, usually we have interesting stuff, but this one is kind of interesting, like odd interesting I, for us, right? Of course it is. Of odd, course different. it is. Yeah, it's and so our topic is today is creativity. In other news, veterinarians need to be creative. What? Yeah, there was no creative writing 101 in vet school. That is for sure because I would have gotten an F no, out. That's right. Me too. No, no. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess like MacGyver type creative is what I'm thinking. Right? I, I would, I, I'm, I'm right with you. I, th- I, think, I think that's, yeah. that's what we're all thinking, right? But yeah. once again, we are not the experts. No, no, no. But we know guys who know guys. Yes, right? we do. And we bring, we bring those guys right into the candyverse <laughs> so that the news hounds can, can benefit from that. And so can we. Frankly, it's purely for selfish motivation that we bring them in. But today I'm super duper stoked. We have an incredible guest coming into the candyverse today. Jason, have you heard of this guy? I have heard of this guy. Who I mean, hasn't heard of this guy? Even in the basement? Right? Yes, especially in the basement, all right? That's where you need creativity. And this yeah. guy can help those of us who aren't creative learn to be creative, all I right? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know because my question – well, let's get to it. So let's bring our guest in. <laughs> just, um, and just stop talking about him like he's not yeah, here? Yeah, okay. because he's listening. It's, it's becoming awkward now. <laughs> so, so we're going to bring him in. Alan Gannett, welcome. Welcome to the podcast in the Candyverse. I, I am so excited to be here. I love, I'm already like, oh, but the candy verse, like there's characters, like sign me up. Like, oh. <laughs> yes. We are, we are nothing if not characters. That's for sure. You nailed That's it. That's right. That's right. Yes. Clearly we are uh, caricatures on some days, but yeah. We're twins. But we I have twins. a really dumb thing is that I always make this mistake and I've stopped of asking okay. people who are twins who are like, mixed gender twins if they're identical and then i'm like wait that makes no sense so I'm, I've, I've stopped myself this time so you are okay actual fraternal twins yes oh my god that's a fact that's a fact yep wow jason doesn't always like to uh, claim me but i i demand it yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> good face jason i've just, so, I've just um, i'm stunned I'm, I'm quiet because i've never heard the term mixed gender twins before that's very <laughs> progressive i love it <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Oh, it took me a while yes. to, to catch up with that, right? So, you know, he spends a lot of his time in the basement. Um, the news hounds know mm-hmm. that Jason usually is podcasting from his basement, and I'm, um, as per the huge, I'm in the cottage at the farm. Mm-hmm. And where are you, Alan? I am in New York City. So, uh, yeah, I actually Uh-oh. moved here three weeks ago. Big so adjustment. What a good, time good. To- not a great time to move to the city, my friend. Yeah, it was supposed to be March 15th, but I decided even that was a little too crazy for me. So I delayed it till May 1st. Yeah, ah, yeah. Not too, not too bad. 
And so here, so here's something, and the reason, so folks may be wondering like, how, how did these two veterinarians cross paths with this guy? And so I don't mind sharing it because I, it, to me, it's incredible. It's one of the, one of the benefits of um, social media is, I mean, I got to know you on LinkedIn. Frankly. Yeah, we're LinkedIn friends. Yes, we are. And uh, you post some incredible stuff. And the thing that caught my eye over and over and over <laughs> was how bonded you are to your dog. So tell us about Maven. Uh, so Maven is a very adorable six and a half year old Corgi, Pembroke Welsh Corgi. He's actually right next to me right now demanding scratches. And he is like, he is one of those, he's like six and a half, but still has like puppy energy. And it's like, I don't think it's never going to calm down. He, so he Seems unlikely like, at this point, Alan. Yeah. Sorry. So he's like very mischievous, very lovable, totally crazy. Uh, so we have some similarities. It, it works. Yeah. yeah, but he's everywhere. Like you, I mean, you post pictures with him, and the, and the the thing that I thought was greatest is not only did you talk about how you're adjusting to life in New York City, but then there's a picture of Maven sitting like <laughs> solitary on the sidewalk, kind of like along. I'm gonna guess it was the Hudson, like along the river, yes. and. And like with his ears back, just like, <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm here. <laughs> so how is the adjustment going? It's actually going really well. He really likes the fact that I like, like have been enjoying sort of walking and exploring and I've just been bringing him everywhere. And it's actually a lot more, my neighborhood here is more walkable than my neighborhood was in DC. And so he's getting like a lot of outdoor time and he thinks it's great. And it turns out people in New York like corgis just as much as they like them anywhere else. So he's also yes. getting a lot of like... How could a neighborhood be more walkable than D.C.? Now, I'm going to be very clear. I've never been to New York City other than <laughs> to pop into the airport and then go somewhere else. But I spent three days in D.C. and that, that's enough, right? So, <laughs> so, but that's a very walkable place, right? It Dogs is, out is. everywhere, all well, over the place. Well, but Jason, be clear because you spent three days on Capitol Hill because I lived on oh, Capitol Hill. Is there a difference? Hill. I didn't know that. Okay, well, mm -hmm. I, yes, sorry, you're, Alan. I spent three days on Capitol Hill. I am right next to this park in New York called the Hudson River Park, which is basically like almost the entire west side of Manhattan. And it's a walking park. And so there's no street signs and it's dog friendly. And so, I mean, it's literally just miles and miles on the water. And so it's like, wow. it's kind of, yeah, it's like literally perfect for someone who owns a dog. It's a block. Yeah, that's so, incredible. Um, so it's it's there, more walkable in that sense. Like there's no such thing as a street sign, you know? Yeah. Right. Are there yeah. sheep and goats out there for, for Maven? To so it's so funny, by the way, um, I was, uh, I've been upstate New York for a week and when we drove back, there was an ice cream shop that was open and we we're like, oh, ice cream. And it was like, you know, it was like wear a mask and all stuff. But I was like, I want ice cream. And this is in like sort of rural New York. And there was someone in line with a baby goat on a leash. <laughs> And I like took a picture because I was like, and then I like sort of was like eavesdropping a little bit because I'm like, oh, and they were like, this was like a completely normal thing for them. Like they yes, were just like, oh, like, goat. yeah, it wasn't like a special, we're going to bring the goat. Like, no, no, they don't <laughs> really like bring the goat. Yeah, they, actually usually, the goat. they actually usually have three goats. It was special because they only brought one of they the goats. The other, two, yeah, the other two were misbehaving. Family. They didn't get to go, right? That's so. right. <laughs> I love it. But you know what? So that, that kind of brings us back around to our topic a little bit is that um, A, I love that you remarked upon that being different because different is, uh, I think is, is great, but B yeah, you were okay with it. You just like <laughs> oh, totally. tolerated that. How creative can we get with, with what pet we're going to bring to the ice cream shop? I was wondering you know? how goats on a leash is going to get us back to our topic, but you know, <laughs> yeah. good segue. You are a professional. <laughs> That's right. So without a doubt, I got to tell people, you guys, you have a book out. It has some incredible stuff in it. And it's, it's kind of about a theory that you have. So the book is called the creative curve. 
And uh, I mean, I think it's selling like hotcakes, right? I mean, everybody's eating it up, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, it's been going really well. It's in like eight languages now. People seem to like not hate oh it. Gosh. Which is good. The gist of the book is like looking at this question. So I come from a data background. So for I ran for six years a company called Track Maven. My dog is actually yes. named after the company, which is a little weird, but it's fine. This and, is why you're in the candy verse, Alan. Yeah, exactly. It's all <laughs> you're it's one of our people. <laughs> it's a safe place. And um and then, you know, we would look at data for big brands. And I got really fascinated by the fact that there was like all these patterns to what type of things worked with consumers. But then when you talk to people who are creatives and creating things for consumers, they were like, oh, like, I'm not creative enough. Like, you're either born with it or you're not. And there's a lot of like yep. negative self-talk. Yep. And so yeah. the book was sort of a response to that where sort of wanted to tackle this question, like, can you learn to become more creative? And so I look yeah. at it from a historical lens. Uh, I look at the academic research, and then I also mm -hmm. interviewed about 25 living creative greats, ranging from like Oscar winners, Tony Award winners, billionaires, Michelin star chefs, and sort of wow. unspool what you can do to become more creative. And the thing to me that I love about it is, I mean, it reads kind of like a story. It doesn't read like a data analytics. It doesn't read like a, a how-to book, really, oh, not from my perspective. And it's, you just, it's just a story. Um, it's kind of woven together. It's, so it's a very easy read, but, um, but it's also available on Audible. So Jason, who's a I was super just lazy. Saying, can we get to the real question here? Can <laughs> yeah. I put it in my car and listen to it <laughs> yes. and, and learn and drive at the same time? This is what I want to do. And it's what he does Definitely. do, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's wonderful. So look, news hounds, uh, we're not telling you you should turn off um, the In Other News podcast. Don't do that. Finish the podcast. And then put on the Audible version of <laughs> the Creative Curve. Um, so, but I do want to probe more into this concept that you talk about about can creativity be a learned skill, or is it is it something you're innately born with or you're struck with? Um, but first, everybody knows we got to pay some bills, so we're going to take a very short break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to delve more into that theory of can you too be creative? So hang with us. We'll see you on the other side. That candy makes your life easier with scientific news, clinical updates, and expert lifestyle tips. Sign up for free at MyFatCandy.com and start making your life sweeter. Spanning the planet. Spanning the planet. You've landed at the Pet Entertainment Center of the Universe. Alert the paparazzi. This is Pet Life Radio, the ultimate animal adventure. We're back with uh, Alan Gannett, author of the uh, super-selling book, The Creative Curve, uh, discussing, yeah, what, what can veterinarians be creative? And so I, I guess that's the other thing. In all of your research, talking to all these folks, and then, of course, you seem to be a very creative person from my perspective. Did you, veterinarians, are, like, we're STEM-focused people, right? We're science, we're physiology, pharmacology, medicine. We don't usually have a lot of people, you know, who, who are creative. There are some, right? We never say all or none. Well, I avoid saying that because you'll just be wrong. Um, but so can we become creative? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, great question. So I'll answer this in a few different ways. So first of all, we have to go back a step, right? Like what actually is creativity? Like we have to define it. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people get creativity mistaken with productivity. Like they think about just doing something or creating something. Right. But that's not enough, right? Because if I created like an exact reproduction of Mona Lisa, it wouldn't actually be creative. It would be skilled. Like it's different. 
That's true. And so what creativity is, is the ability to create things that are both new and valuable at the same time. And that's actually something very different. There's a whole sort of social dynamic to it. There's a timing dynamic. Has this been seen in the market before? And so when I think about veterinarians, I actually spoke, at, I did a speech at the American Veterinary Medical Association uh, conference once. Yeah, the, the economic summit. Yes, actually, the economic I think summit. you're at in, in 2019. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, and, you know, the point that I made there, which I think is important, is like, you know, veterinarians are typically also small business owners. And I think there's a lot of creativity in small business, right? In the medical field, there's two when you're thinking about treatments and all sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. I think the biggest sort of like surface area of creativity for veterinarians is in mm-hmm. running their business. And I think right. if you think about the new sort of business models that people are taking up, whether that's sort of telemedicine for dogs or whether that's mm-hmm. you know, creating small sort of insurance-like or subscription businesses in their veterinarian mm-hmm. practices. Those are, I think, real examples of mm-hmm. creativity. And it, even in veterinarian work. So I love how you say that even in veterinarian work. Yeah, he did. (laughs) We were so close to being friends, Alan. Uh, But but, but there's one key difference though, when you look at human, the human medical industry is that by and large, physicians don't advertise. It's Mm -hmm. not like they're saying, let me be your doctor, right? Um, but, But veterinarians, a large component of, I guess, being like kind of graduating into that upper echelon of success as a practice owner is marketing, yes. right? People got to know you're there. They got to know what you can do and why you do it better, um, which I think is, allows that creative outlet to, to show up. hundred um, percent. And the thing with creativity is that, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is that there's all these studies on creative potential. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is when you study creative potential, and there's all these academically rigorous ways you can do it. What you find is that basically anyone who has sort of like an average IQ or higher has essentially the same creative potential. It's called the threshold theory. It's this idea that once you get past an IQ threshold of like 104, everyone has the same creative potential. So Jason, th- Jason, 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 where are you on there? I just, I think I'm right there. I, 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 like I think, 106? Yes, 106. I think I'm right there. I'm not, I don't even know if that's good or bad, but I'm going to take it. All right. I have okay, good, okay. I have the same creative threshold potential, sorry, as Einstein. That's what I heard. And oh, okay. Like, correct. Okay. So I'm just, I'm, that's my take home message. Is that there is a, there is a gap between potential and achievement, right? Oh, careful, buddy. There's such a group of people with potential. Why is achievement much smaller, much more concentrated? So that's what I sort of tackle in the book. And I think I really think about it as creativity is really three different elements. So one is the skill or the craft. Two is timing, right? Are you creating the right idea at the right time? We can talk about that all day. Mm-hmm. Third is marketing and distribution, right? Like if you yes. paint a painting in the forest and no one ever sees it, is it actually creative? Hard to tell. And so marketing and distribution are actually a huge part of the creativity story to your point before about marketing. Oh, I never thought of it that way because I would, I would, you know, in my ignorant ways, would argue that, man, doesn't matter who's creative, it's creative. I also, I'm going to interject because you guys are going crazy again i'm gonna interject my main thing for veterinarians be creative is how on earth am i gonna wrap this dog up so he can't immobilize his leg and still get around you know not pretty much uh, not not marketing not advertising but so that's more of an outside the box sort of Mm -hmm. way to look at creativity uh as it pertains to sort of my life so totally well yeah one thing that's so interesting is that when it comes to creativity you know, oftentimes some of the stories we look at that make us think it's unattainable or like we look at, we hear these stories like JK Rowling was on a train and she was hit with the idea yes. for Harry Potter and boom, like she's a billionaire, right? Or like Paul McCartney Just like woke, that. Up, <laughs> woke oh, yeah. up with the melody for yesterday in a dream. Like that's literally the, the right. 
I love that in your book because you totally debunked that because I thought that was the same thing. Like he just got like this bolt of lightning and yesterday lyrics and music just flowed out of this guy who couldn't read music. Totally. Right? And like no. the, thing, the thing that's so interesting is there's two things. One is that if you look at those stories more closely, like J.K. Rowling took years after that to actually write the book. Paul McCartney mm -hmm. literally took years to craft the song yesterday into what it was. So this lightning bolt idea is sort of silly. But then also the other thing that we have to realize is like, the reason that they have those epiphanies, and we can talk about epiphanies too, is that they've spent, they were huge consumers of that type of content, right? Yeah. Paul McCartney, musical hassle, played in a cover band, like obsessed with music. So yeah, he dreams literally about melodies and we don't, right. but he also doesn't daydream about new ways to, you know, whatever, however you phrase it, you know, you know, get around a dog. And so right. like, <laughs> what goes in is what comes out. Like, if you want to connect the dots, you have to have those actual dots to connect. So yeah. it's not that we're not able to do that. It's that we haven't tried. We haven't consumed. Ah, yeah. tried. I have a question for you, okay? Uh, everybody <laughs> okay. knows. Okay, we're, friends, newshounds, he what? raised his hand. I did. I was oh. very excited. I heard George. I, I listened. <laughs> I can relate a little bit, right? Sorry. And I'm still raising my hand. I'm very excited. All right. So I've read, ever since vet school, I've read one nonfiction book. Mm. Two. I'm sorry. I, re I read Good to Great. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. And then I read this other book, and I, I think it was by Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if yeah, that's yeah. the first name, but I don't know it's Gladwell. And he had this theory, and I really liked this book called The Outliers. And he had this mm. theory about this tin. And I, okay, again, I'm not. I don't know for sure. Maybe it's his theory. Maybe he just put it into words. I don't have any idea. But he talked about this ten thousand hours. I can be an expert or or savant at anything if I would do it for ten thousand hours. Mm -hmm. Is this? What do you think about that? So, Is that same Jason, with creativity? And you literally just hit my trigger phrase. So like, uh -oh. just, Is that good or bad? Hold on. I want to know bad, if that's good bad, or bad. bad. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's bad. I'm sorry. Jason this offended the guest again. Emotional trauma that's going to come out now. So okay. the thing which is amazing is the 10,000 hours rule that Malcolm Gladwell popularized, this idea that if you do anything for 10,000 hours, you become world-class at it. And this is based on research by an academic named Kay Anders Erickson, who I actually um, interviewed for my book. He reviewed my book. Like, oh. And with some, he gave me this quote, and I'll explain why. Uh, but he gave me this quote that was that, quote, unquote, Gladwell misread my paper, period. And yeah, I know. <laughs> you have to read beyond the abstract, people, right? So he, oh, wow, that's interesting. The issue is that there it's just it's sort of farcical on its face like think about it, like we've yeah. all driven cars for ten thousand hours but you're not a nascar driver right or maybe jason right. you know you are but i assume that yes thank you very much i very much am <laughs> although we although we've interviewed one on our podcast yes we oh, have that's cool <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thing that she promised i could drive the truck <laughs> she did not by the way she did she said you could ride in the truck but let's get back to the important stuff yeah i'll so, so debunk my ten thousand hours thing. So yeah. the thing that gladwell got wrong is two things one <laughs> 10,000 hours was the average across people and across skills. Certain skills take more or less time, depending on how competitive they are, how many other people are doing them. Like becoming world-class at piano takes about 25,000 hours. So it really depends. The second thing is that actually, and this is the really important thing, and sort of goes to why you're not a NASCAR driver yet, is that <laughs> it's not about practice. It's about something called deliberate practice, which is very oh. different. So, I actually have something for that too, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. So Deliberate practice is this idea of taking a skill and breaking it down to like small component parts mm -hmm. and getting better at those little foundational pieces yes. so that it comes together. Like a basketball player, they don't just Wait. play basketball. Alan, right? Alan, I'm going to share a secret with you. Just, just don't. Jason was a star standout basketball player. Oh, no, I was yeah. not, but let's move on. <laughs> so here's the thing. Both of us, we paid for school, both of us by playing sports. 
What was um, your sport? Well, I picked volleyball. Um, oh, just, there was several, but she chose she chose volleyball to pay. Par- so. Partially, partially um, at the time to piss off my dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> yeah, everyone has their reasons. And so, uh, so we, well, I think that's one reason that the creative curve, like the premise for it resonated with me and is going to likely resonate with many of our listeners is because I believe in life that there is nothing that I cannot be successful at if I just work harder. And uh, with- and this is- this is what the research shows. I mean, the research supports that, yep. the issue with Gladwell is that he oversimplifies it, right? He says, just do something for 10,000 hours. And actually, no, it's about like very deliberate, thoughtful, intentional practice, mm-hmm. which is like something we can all do, but it's mm-hmm. a different mindset, right? It's not just I, sitting in a room and like playing the guitar over and over. It's like practicing focus. like work. Yeah, exactly. It's about the it's little- focus. Yeah, so I think two things. We figured out why I like the book because it's oversimplified. Bam, that's my kind of book, right? Also, I didn't want to bring up the sports stuff, but listen, so the, the best phrase, the best advice I ever got, uh, and we're getting a little bit away from creativity, but, but, but I want to focus it back to, to the creativity because I'm not sure. I, I want you to tell me or tell us and the listeners in the Kennyverse how, how this applies. But perfect, like practice makes perfect is a saying we've all heard, right? And, and that's, that's 100% not true, right? Perfect practice makes perfect, which is almost exactly what you're saying with deliberate exactly. practice. If you practice something wrong, okay, you're, you're just going to be really good at being wrong, right? Exactly. You, and exactly. Right, the so. thing is that practice makes things autonomous and something right. that are automa- automatic, automatic, where it's like you're not thinking as you do it, right? Now when you make muscle a Muscle memory. Yeah, when you do it, that's exactly, when you do a left turn or maybe you're stitching in the case of a vet, like you know mm-hmm. how to do it, it's muscle memory. You're not thinking of every individual stitch or you're not mm-hmm. thinking of how you're, you know, how you're accelerating into your turn versus like if you want to get better at something that's not how you would practice like you'd make things very small very intentional very thoughtful yes to me that blows it all up because when i was in school look it i can't fold paper um straight i don't like (laughs) to fold a sheet like like i don't stay in the lines i don't even care if you have lines on the paper my handwriting looks just like it did when i was four and i'm comfortable with that right and so I was never a person who, I, I never thought of myself as creative at all. And so when I read your book and, and you say, you too can be creative, but it's not like in a gimmicky way. It's like, this is, look, this is what data shows. You can do it. I researched it. Yeah. And this thing is amazing. When you look at one of the things people point to is like, well, what about natural born talent? Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is there's a ton of research on natural born talent. And the, the conclusion is basically that it doesn't exist. Like, if you look at people like Mozart, for example, who we think of as like natural born talent, mm-hmm. the real story is at three years old, literally three, he had a helicopter dad who told him like, you know, conditional love, like learn how to become a musician, so I'm proud of you, and hired for him the best music teachers in the entire continent of Europe and made him practice three hours a day, seven days a week at the age of three. So by the time he was 18, he had been doing that for 15 years. That's not natural born anything. That is grueling, grueling deliberate practice. It's cheating. I mean, there is an interesting thing around when you look at, there's a reason why a lot of people who have been successful creatively either come from sort of like high socioeconomic backgrounds or low socioeconomic backgrounds where Mm -hmm. the high one is they have access to training. They maybe have pushy parents. The low one is there's sort of an intrinsic motivator to escape sometimes. Right. And so there's a really interesting phenomenon when it comes to people with talent of they have very similar backgrounds, which mm-hmm. is not just a coincidence, right? It's that for a reason. 
I think so that's a little bit like, you know, there's this graphic that goes around all the time on LinkedIn. It's the iceberg and it's like uh, the very, the tip of the iceberg is all you see. And it's like, they have an arrow pointing it to it that says success. But then Mm. what you don't see under the water is like failed three times, had to go back, had this happen, had whatever, you know, you just don't see it. You just hear like it was overnight success. And we hear that all the time. Um, Yeah. And so I think when we talk about veterinarians and animal care professionals, Dr. Jason and I, we came from a farm. We've grown up with animals. And so I had a friend when I was in vet school and she wanted to be an equine veterinarian. And I thought that was interesting. And so I could work as hard as I wanted to. And I would have thought until I read your book, I probably would never be as good an equine veterinarian as she was because she just innately knew how they were supposed to move, right? Looking at lameness, she would just, she didn't even know why she knew it, but she knew it. But it's because that's all she'd ever seen. Totally. Yeah. She's exposed to it, right? And it's so funny. So like, I, I'm like, I'm like pretty weird. And like, I was like, as this was all going on, like, and I was researching this, I sort of wanted to like prove this to myself. And Uh so I'm someone who for years had always struggled to like make a good omelet. Like I just find (laughs) three hard. I thought you were going to convince like to make a better mousetrap. To make it like something to bring the world. Just an omelet. And and omelets are actually a thing they spend a lot of time on in culinary school because they're actually very difficult to nail. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is they're very easy to burn and not make soft or have brown spots. And so I spent literally, this is 100% true. I spent six months every single day making, trying to perfect the omelet. And oh I ultimately decided I was going to try and perfect the America's Test Kitchen recipe for an omelet, which is sort of like a French-style omelet. Oh, my. Steps. And guys, guys, I make a killer omelet now. Oh. <laughs> and the thing is, like, a lot of the things which used to be, like, I had to be overly thoughtful about, now I can, like, make an omelet that's, like, a top-tier omelet, literally, like, with barely even thinking about it, Right. And yeah. so that's something that I never thought I could do. I'm not a chef, but the only thing I can cook well, and I can cook it really well, is an omelet. Is an omelet. So is that that's, creative though? Yeah. So, we're gonna, so, 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 this is, so what you're saying is it, it, we, there is a way to work on being creative much like you worked on making an omelet. Yeah. So I think about it as, right, creativity has the three different parts, right? There's the actual craft, there's the t- market timing perspective, and then right. there's the ability to get marketing and distribution and get your ideas heard. You can get better at all three of those. I think we are very used to having the conversation around getting better at the craft. Like right. that sort of makes sense to us. But timing feels like, how do I do that? And that's really where I think it's really important that people understand that creativity is not just about doing. It's not just about doing. It's also about consuming because you have to understand what is out there in your market, mm-hmm. right? So if you're a musician, for example, like, the best jazz musicians listen to every single jazz record they can get their hands on mm-hmm. because that's the only way to know what ideas are going to be the right level of new. Cause we don't actually like ideas that are crazily new. Right. It's a little bit new. Right. Yeah. We like things that are a little bit new. But we also sort of familiar, like, right? Yeah. We also don't like things that are too familiar. Like right. the ideas that tend to work really well in any market are ideas that are a blend of the familiar and the novel. Like, right, Star Wars, Western in space, Harry Potter, literally the most traditional yeah. orphan story of all time, but they're wizards, right? Like, we don't right. actually <laughs> like reinvention. We right. like sort of like incremental progress. And by consuming, you are able to actually get better at understanding how to do that. 
And you know, so I think so that and that's why I'm going to go back to the story about Paul McCartney coming up with um, like what the best like the most played song like ever yesterday, right? His biggest concern, I guess, is was that his brain had tricked him and he had just plagiarized something because exactly. he he listened to so much music in his lifetime. He was right. like, this is good, but it can't be mine. Yeah. And he actually <laughs> went around to his friends and sort of frantically, anxiously asking them. And I'm a very anxious person, so I sort of empathize with this. Yeah. Hey, have you heard this before? <laughs> and what's interesting is that the, the creation story of yesterday has actually become this thing that like, there's a field called um, empirical musicology, which is the math of music. Yes. And they're really fascinated by the creation story of yesterday because it's sort of like representative myth. And there's actually literally books and academic papers about this story. Wow. And the thing which is wild is that actually the melody for yesterday is like super derivative of some of the things that Paul McCartney's favorite musicians would do. So like, yeah, he didn't plagiarize, but he definitely was inspired by. He definitely yep. had a nod back, right? And like, that's part of the creativity story. Yeah, so somewhere between mundane and radical is kind of where you where you want to be. Is, yes, is, is exactly. The and so his song was his song is. I had to think about it, but even even I've heard that song, which is which is good, right? Because <laughs> I mean it's very popular. If I've heard it and, and have some knowledge of it, but it's very interesting that we can practice these three stages and get good at being creative because I was not brought up to be any kind of creative person. It was like, go practice your jump shot or go find a job or do something like that. And it was very regimented, but I've been put in a role where I have to be a little bit creative. I've never thought about practicing it, but the consumer part is good. Like that gives me an excuse to consume stuff that I want to be. So I can, that's very important for everybody to realize you got to consume. So you wouldn't, so you know what your products are out there. So you can kind of get the right level of timing and newness to it. Uh, I never, I actually never thought about that. And I'm going to, I'm going to get off the podcast and go start consuming some stuff so I can work on my creativity. Well, sure. One of my favorite stories was I spent a day with the flavor team at Ben and Jerry's, which is like, it's just funny because by the way, they're all skinny. Like, hard I think, work. That's hard work, yeah. Alan. That's, what, that's, hard that's work. what's happening. And they're, like <laughs> and they're all, all skinny. skinny. That makes you yeah, They're not consuming like, near enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was so interesting is they talked about how they knew what would be on trend was they do these things where they actually do like trend treks, they call them. They go to a city they go to hip bars, they see what flavors people are using in new cocktails. They like literally read the menus of new restaurants. They go to like wow. farmer's markets. And their whole thing is like they want to understand like what is sort of percolating. So the reason why they were the first major ice cream company to get into the almond milk sort of like craze was that they had seen in some of this research when they would go and like to a health food store that almond milk was starting to like fly off the shelves. And so even though it was still just a nascent trend in health food stores, they saw that something was happening. And so yeah. they were able to put something into their R&D cycle. So by the time it actually was mainstream, they had a product, right? They were like, ahead of the curve. As exactly, as exactly. Yeah. And so like that floors me, but I think that's the unique little piece of luck that isn't really luck, mm. right? They were paying attention. They were paying, paying attention to the world around them. They were paying attention to consumers and what they were doing. And it's the thing where in a lot of fields, we're actually pretty good about um, creating time for it. So like think mm -hmm. about in the movie business, for example, it's considered totally reasonable that you're going to like read a lot of scripts in, you know, fashion design, you have big chunks of time for research. But I think in some fields where we don't have like, we don't traditionally think of them as creative. We don't justify time just to consume, just to research, just to learn. Right. We feel like it's wasted time. Right. It's essential time. So I really push people on like, you have to change the culture and say, actually, pure consumption, pure research, 
that is part of our jobs and it's okay, right? Yep. You don't have to take meetings during that time. It's okay if you're literally just reading books, right? That's part of the work. Yeah. And I think that's incredible. When I was trying to figure out a way to solve a medical problem with a, with a rare species, the thing that, that I leveraged was the fact that at that point in my career, I was doing so much medicine. Yeah. I mean, across the board, I was doing emergency care at night, all night long. And then I would drive to my day job and then I would do zoo med, right? I'd be working at the park doing that. And then I had some friends who leveraged their relationship with me for free work on ranch horses, <laughs> right? And advice about, advice about their, their um, feeder cattle um, thing that they were doing. And so, uh, so much medicine that it wasn't a stroke of luck, but it was. I happened yeah. to have somehow in the vast universe of all that medicine come across something that I could pull into this other world that was applicable and accidentally it worked. Totally. And I, I think it's sort of this idea of people talk about the surface area of luck, right? Increasing your surface area of luck. Yes. And I, I really like that sort of mental like image. And the Me other too. thing that you see in creative fields is that geography is really important mm -hmm. because like a big part of creativity is other people, right? And yeah. whether that's like, you know, you get like um, someone who believes in you, maybe they're an artist who's been more successful. Mm -hmm. They start like inviting you to shows and introducing you to people, that sort of sponsor mentality. Mm -hmm. But like, if you, for example, want to work in fine art, if you want to be an artist, like you got to move to New York, London, Paris, or Milan, because like you just got it. Because <laughs> otherwise you won't be exposed to that luck, right? Yeah. And so that's intentionality. That's not pure yep. luck, right? And that gets back to that deliberate practice. Yes. Right? Yes. Just sitting in your cottage on the farm painting, it's <laughs> not going to help you much. Totally. Hanging out with other artists at the same level is more deliberate. Yeah, and, and that's, so, why, that's why LeBron moved to LA, right? So he could be amongst right. all the other movie stars. So. <laughs> well, the thing which is really interesting, right, is like there is an element of like, of, I talk about in the book, the creative communities, and we have different mm -hmm. people in our communities. And one of the people I talk about is what I call sort of a modern muse, which is this idea of like other people who inspire you, push you, give you friendly competition. Oftentimes these are peers. And like my favorite example is comedians. Like, Mm -hmm. comedians all hang out with other comedians and they all feel this like competitive pressure, but they also learn from each other and they also like sort of glean best practices. But like, yeah. you can't be a comedian literally by yourself, right? Cause yeah. like, like you have to be in a club, you have to work out the jokes, right. you have to practice, you have to like get inspired. So like, there's this whole social fabric that we just sort of like forget about. Yeah. And then, and then if you're lucky, you come up with a show about nothing. <laughs> and yeah. Much, right? yeah. But it's really a show about everything, right? Everything. And, and there's been a couple of those. They've been uber successful. So I think we call all of this continuing education, right? And, um, yes. and, and veterinary medicine. So, so go hang out, learn some stuff, and, and, and consume some other, other people's ideas about, about medicine. So, uh, yeah. So this has been incredible. I mean, if the Candyverse is not electrified after listening to this, I, I don't know what would do it, right? And of course, I really enjoy it. This is the sort of um, kind of empowering type of conversation that I think doesn't happen very often among scientific professionals, um, which is, you know, being encouraged that your different idea is okay to follow to the end. And oh. then you can come back to the group and we'll kick it around for you and maybe kick you, but then we'll all go down a path again. Totally. Um, totally. And like, that's, that's okay. I mean, part of the experience of creating is failure and they go hand in hand. And once you realize that, I think failure becomes less scary, less risky. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that, um, 
the Candyverse knows I do love Batman. He's my favorite superhero. And there's a line from um, one of the movies where they say, uh, why do we fall? So we could learn to pick ourselves up, right? I love that. Yeah, I love because that. You, you don't drown because you fell in the river. You drown because you don't get out, yeah. right? And so you, you got to learn to pick yourself up. The um, phrase I like to use a lot is that, I usually, when I'm talking to companies, I mm-hmm. talk about how the best creative organizations they don't think of their, their product as their product. Like Pixar doesn't say that movies are their product. They mm-hmm. say their process is their product. Yeah. Ben and Jerry, same thing, the process is the product. That's the thing. That's their secret sauce that they're refining over time. Anyone can make ice yeah. cream. But right. The ability to create new ice cream, the ability to create new movies. And when the process is your product, it's okay to fail because you improve the process, right? Right. right. That, creating that allows you to create psychological safety which is like mm-hmm. the complete underpinning to all things creative is like, if you're not feeling psychologically safe, you won't feel comfortable being creative. So think about it. Remember like your process is what you want to refine. Yeah. And that means failure. Totally. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We should, we should call it something different. Well, and, and, but we've all heard those other uh, phrases like um, what it was it Edison or one of them said, I was yeah. successful because I found 236 things that didn't work. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. Right. And so, so yeah. So, yeah. And WD-40, right? Come on. Everybody knows WD-40, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, but you know what this, so this harkens back to um, another one of our episodes with Dr. Quincy Holly, cause that's all about your perspective. That's your perspective. And if your perspective is that, well, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. Then you kind of are. So shifting your perspective, especially as a, as a, a veterinarian or as an, an animal professional where, that didn't work. Well, let me try something different. Let me try something well, different. Well, I think ultimately we are our own worst enemies when it comes to this stuff. We're very mm-hmm. self-critical. We have negative self-talk. We've internalized the thing our 10th grade, you know, English teacher told us. And mm-hmm. like, you know, and that's a lot of stuff where I think self-awareness and self-reflection can actually be one of the places of the biggest change and the biggest improvement when it comes to your own mm-hmm. creativity. Yeah. Well, Dr. Jason, do you got any other any other burning questions? Because otherwise, I'm I, I'm going to just have, do. I have I have one. It's very relative. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm at what now? We're going to do. I'm, would you rather? My only question is: okay. Is Batman really a superhero? But that's a whole different <laughs> a whole different topic. I know. I get it. Uh, I think he may be just a creative individual and not necessarily. Um, a he is the closest thing to a vampire, and uh-huh. vampires are hot. Okay. Ergo, oh, transitive good, good, uh, property that, applies. Yeah. Batman is hot. All right, that is a that is what we know as a creative line of thinking there. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, did you um, say we're so, doing a would you rather? We are. So, oh, geez. Alan, you probably don't know that we like to play games at the end of our podcast with our guests, and we usually don't alert them to that. Um, <laughs> or and, me. Yeah, that. we don't tell Jason either, because um, sometimes Jason's involved. So, and then he'll, he'll just say that his tech cut out, you know, <laughs> he, he knows ahead of time. That's about so, uh, to. <laughs> he's done that before. So it's just a very quick game. It's a very simple game. Okay. So would you rather omelet or eggs Benedict? Omelet. I, I, I thought you might be omelet. I yeah. thought you might be omelet. He almost has to say omelet, right? Yeah, he's obligated. A hundo P as the kids say. Yeah. So would you, <laughs> would you rather Sheltie or Border Collie? Oh, Border Collie. I know who I'm talking to. Oh, that's right. That's right. Flattery with the hosts will get you everywhere. That's exactly right. Okay. Would you rather, in case of illness, this one's difficult, physician or veterinarian? (laughs) Oh, this I feel like really conflicted about. Uh, Uh, I would say say physician, but if my dog was sick, veterinarian. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's the correct answer. Jennifer just trying to set you up. What a loaded question, right? That was terrible. 
Candy Dude, Land is, is going to hate me. Life is tough in the Candyverse, man. Um, Candyverse, no, not Candyland. Okay. Oh my yeah. God. I'm just oh, Candyland. No, no, no. We would, Although, we would try that, but I heard there's. I heard it's. Uh, I heard it's patented it's and problem. trademarked and all that kind of stuff. So. But we do have a board game. I don't know if you know. Really? We have a virtual yeah. board game called the uh, Vet Candy Outbreak. Stop. That's um, really cute. Yeah. Yeah. And on June fourth. Um, although I'm dating the podcast by putting it out there, but on June 4th, we're going to play online. It will be um, Dr. Jason and then another member of our Candyverse um, population, Dr. Courtney, playing oh against God. each other. Oh and God. I'm the game master. <laughs> of course. That's right. Yeah. So you solve the world or you save the world by solving the mystery disease and make your way across. Them. So there's fun activities. <laughs> um, but what we're going to do too is uh, here at the end is uh, we're going to give away five of Alan's incredible, five copies of Alan's incredible book, The Creative Curve. Um, and uh, all you need to do to win one is to email me something you're going to change to become more deliberate in enhancing your creativity, as we talked about today. Just email me at jen at myvetcandy.com something you're going to change today to become more deliberate about increasing your creativity. And we'll get you a book out. And we'll probably shout out to you on the next episode. I cannot believe you just did that. So you totally bribed the Candyverse, the news hounds, to email you so that you can say, I have more emails than you. This is ridiculous. I'm just like to point out what's happening here. Well, no, Jason. Mm -hmm. I mean... I mean, if you want to give something away, you could do that. Uh -huh. I can't oh, now. I you gave, gave away five. Away. It's, uh, it's too late. All right. <laughs> it's so fantastic. You guys email me and tell me how, how much. How, anyways, yes, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love and positivity right yes, here. Yes, positivity. Um, so thank you so much, Alan. This has been super incredible. Um, I really, I mean, we could probably go on for hours. Just really enjoy talking with you. It's very uplifting, um, very encouraging. And so we wish you and Maven at the best in New York City. And we hope that um, maybe we'll see you back in the, in the Candyverse. But until then, how can we find you? How can News Hounds follow you? You can check out uh, Alan, A-L-L-E-N dot X-Y-Z. And there's links to the book, social media, all that good stuff. And I do, as I know my audience, there is a, there's a good amount of dog photos on Instagram. So definitely, uh, definitely check it out. Alan, you have, your, you have your own sort of not .com, not .edu, not, do you have your own .xyz? I mean, anyone can do it. I just, you know, I couldn't get that's awesome. Com. I wasn't cool enough. And so I guess that's, that's great. I think that's, that's awesome. really cool. .xyz, I love it. That's really good. Love it. Fantastic. All right. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, Alan. It was really wonderful. And I guess, I guess that's it. I'm uh, Dr. Jen in the cottage on the farm. Yeah, and I'm Dr. Jason down here in the basement. And I'm going to go consume some stuff to enhance my creativity. I can't wait. That's excellent. So hopefully we'll see you guys next time on the next episode of In Other News. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.